The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Uriah, along with Christopher Klein. We got a special guest tonight. Music's acting weird. I'll just cut it off. Anyway, we got a special guest tonight for our podcast. Uh, you might have read his stuff on Bleacher Report. Obviously, Forbes. He's the co-host of the NBA podcast. Uh, we want to welcome to the podcast the Sixer Sense, Brian Toporek. What's up, man? Hey, how's it going, guys? Thanks for having me. We're excited to have you, Brian. Uh, thanks for coming on. We're going to talk the past couple Sixers games as well as some, some broader stuff about the team. Um, but we're going to jump in with the Lakers game. That was kind of the premier primetime game from this past week. Um, a bit of a weird one, as things <laughs> tend to be with Philly. Uh for long stretches of that game, it seemed like Philly had it in hand. And then, of course, we get to the fourth quarter, to the end of the fourth quarter, and in pretty epic fashion, they collapse. And they go to <laughs> overtime. They, they went overtime very convincingly, but probably shouldn't have gotten there. 38 points for Joel, 33 and 7 steals for DeAnthony Melton, probably the best game of his career individually. 28 points and 12 assists for James Harden, though I'm not – not everyone was super thrilled with certain parts of his game. Uh, mm -hmm. What were some of your broad takeaways from, from that one, Brian? Yeah, I mean, I was encouraged by the way Embiid in particular came out in the first quarter. I think he had 20 points in the quarter to tie the Lakers as a team, drew those three early fouls on AD, which, you know, given how the game played out, probably was the difference between them winning and losing that game. Because when, you know, AD came back in the second quarter without Embiid, and the, the Lakers, like, immediately went on a run and, you know, erased the early double-digit lead that they got out to. Um, but I know Embiid, after the game, you know, kind of said he he came out hot because he wanted to send a message to his teammates, which I thought was pretty interesting. Um, you know, we, we've often said that the team kind of lives or dies with Joel, and you would hope that, you know, in theory, this is the deepest team he's ever been on. So, like he would hope that it, especially in the regular season, you could buy him more time off where if he has an off night, it's okay because James Harden picks up, uh, picks the team up uh, or Tobias Harris picks the team up or like Tyrese Maxey, when he comes back, you know, he can anchor the team for a night. We haven't quite seen that play out yet. I mean, they're not fully healthy. You know, uh, Maxey and George Yang missed that game against the Lakers, but very encouraged by Joel. Uh, in that game, then we'll talk about what he did against Charlotte as well. And you brought up DeAnthony Melton. Um, you know, earlier in the week, I wrote a piece on Forbes about the best under the radar moves of the offseason, you know, like Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert and DeJounte Murray, all these big name stars changed teams. And, you know, there are a lot of guys who also changed teams but didn't draw as many headlines. Melton was one of them. Uh, and we've seen, thanks to the injuries to Harden, and Maxi, just how really how perfect of a fit he is on this Philly squad. Um, you know, when Maxi is healthy, I imagine he's going to go back to the bench. Although it's just like the more he plays with the starters, it is harder and harder to imagine 
moving him out of the starting lineup. He like, I mean, he's going to play a ton of minutes for this team. He is the perfect, perfect connective tissue that they've lacked. They just haven't had a two way guy like this. So, you know, career high, eight threes, career high, seven steals. You're not going to bank on that every night, but man, I mean that, you know, I I know Daryl Morey has caught some flack from certain sections of Sixers fans this year. Uh, I don't think anyone can pan the DeAnthony Melton acquisition. Yeah, Embiid yeah. was Embiid was hot early, and actually stayed hot pretty much all night. It was weird because Sixers got off to a really good start. Lakers were ice cold, and they made a run. It's some guy named Austin Reeves, right? He yeah. Austin Reeves came out of nowhere. I think he watched Invincible Prince. Uh, <laughs> what was his name Vince Papali? Like he just got inspired and dropped twenty five on us. But I just want to piggyback uh, Brian on DeAnthony Melton. Look, I think, like you said, he's the great fit for this team. To see him defensively do what he does day in and day out for this team is is remarkable and more than necessary, considering Thibel was that role player to make all those defensive plays uh, the past few seasons, and now he's you know, pretty much stuck on the bench or at least losing minutes because of Melton. But I think I read a stat somewhere, guys, that, that Melton is the first player – in NBA history since, I have to say since, since Michael Adams, I think he was like a five foot seven guard from the 90s, played for the Denver Nuggets, to ever get 30 points in a game, eight three-pointers and seven steals. So we got a guy on our team, you know, we got for a great steal. Thank you, Daryl Morey, <laughs> uh, from Memphis, because I guess Chris and I were talking about they couldn't pay him and they have so much depth. But Melton stood out in that Lakers game. We'll talk about the collapse later, but but to your point, Embiid, Melton, Stellar. I think um, uh, James Harden had 12 dimes. So it's overall a good game up until. But Chris, what do you think? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like Joel continues to just deserve all the credit in the world. Like he, there are nitpicks that we can talk about defensively the past week or so with him and since coming back from that injury. But overall, he's, he's playing like an MVP. And if Philly is going to – dig themselves out of the slight hole they've put themselves in. Not much of a hole. They're above 500 now. It's not really a hole, so to speak. But if they're going to keep getting better, it's obviously going to be on Joel's shoulders. But he continues to just deserve a ton of credit. He's in the middle of the best offensive season of his career. He's somehow has improved on last year in that respect, which which, which is pretty difficult to do. Um, and, yeah, Melton, like, I, we've talked about Melton on the pod time and time again. I've written about him. Just a really awesome player. And like Uriah said, we were talking about it before the show. And he's like, you know, Memphis probably has to feel pretty bad about that move right now. And the Grizzlies have a ton of depth. You know, they, they go 15, 16 deep with, like, real NBA players. And that's kind of the problem you run into when you have so many good players is you can't pay them all. You can't roster them all. But, I mean, Danny Green hasn't played yet. He might not play for a while, even though he's on track for a return this season. Like, what what is he going to give Memphis – how confident are you in David Roddy as the number 23 pick? Like Melton's an awesome game changing player and the kind of like bench piece that Philly hasn't had in the past. I agree with you, Brian, he's probably going to move back to the bench once Tyrese gets back, but like come playoff time, it's hard to imagine him not playing, you know, 30, 35 minutes a night. Um, Unless PJ really turns it around offensively. I think Melton's going to be the guy closing a lot of those games for this team. And, you know, who, who knows what will happen at the trade deadline? Things could change if they make it to Tobias Harris move, which is, you know, there, there's room for more minutes to open up for Melton that way too. So he, he's been awesome. His best game again of his career individually, like you said, 33.7 steals, eight threes, pretty historic stuff. Um, but let's talk about that collapse. Oh. Last <laughs> minute or so of this game was not very friendly to the Ooh. Philadelphia 76ers. Pretty ugly stuff. Blew a nine-point lead in what felt like a very handful of possessions. Um, <laughs> what, what what was going through your mind when that was happening, Brian? What were your takeaways from that pretty nasty stretch of basketball from Philly? I mean, after a while, it just stopped being aggravated and started being funny. Like, <laughs> I mean, at a certain point, it's just like a comedy of errors that, you know, it does – as much as we just praised Anthony Melton, he was responsible for two of the turnovers late in the game. So it does speak to 
you know, some of his limitations as a primary ball handler. And it speaks to why they really, really need Tyrese Maxey back because he would, he and Harden will be the ones handling those ball, the ball in those, you know, late game, kill the clock situations. Um, I mean, they're, they're lucky that they didn't lose in regulation. Like Anthony Davis easily could have hit both of those free throws. Uh, you know, it's just the, it's an incredible lack of discipline from this team. And, you know, we even saw it at times throughout this Hornets game tonight. Like, yeah, they won by you know 20 or whatever, but like the Hornets kept just yeah. kept it close for most of the game. And the, they just, this team refuses to put other bad teams away, which, you know, is not typically the sign of a championship contender. So they've still got, you know, close to 60 games to figure it out. And again, like, being without Tyrese Maxey, he's a huge piece of the puzzle. So I don't want to like write the epitaph of the season already, but nothing I've seen so far. And especially with these kind of late game collapses or losing to the Hornets the other week, like it's just hard for me to put this team on the same tier when, you know, early going into the season, I feel like a lot of people thought Boston, Milwaukee, Philly, one, two, three, in some order in the East. And like, Boston and Milwaukee have they have validated that they are one and two with a bullet in the East, and I think the Sixers are more in that like they're in the next grouping for sure. But I I'm not gonna put them ahead of any other team definitively yet. So I, when I look at that that game and I watched it again toward the end, and there were there's a lot of ifs. Yeah. If that pat it was a pass that was thrown, and I think it was. PJ or someone was trying to keep it in bounds and Embiid was right under the rim. If that ball is like a foot over to the right and B gets it, dunks it and the game is out of reach. There's obviously what if Thibel didn't foul Reeves that's boneheaded play on his part. But, and then obviously when AD got fouled, what if he hits that free throw like that? This would have been one of the worst losses in recent memory for the Sixers, but I found a stat guys and I'm, I'm showing off a little bit, Chris, for our guest. Because I, I know Brian's a stat guy. So I'm looking at <laughs> ESPN win probability, and they have this, this little chart. So you see, like, the, you know, 50% win probability going up and down, up and down. And I'm looking right now at the 4.05 minute in the fourth quarter. James Harden hit 17-foot pull-up jump shot. At that point, the game was 113 to 97 with 4.05 left in the game the win probability percentage was 99.7%. And then you, you see the, you see the, you see the, the line just spike back up to 50%. And that just, it's just so such a clear indicator that the collapse was so dramatic. And I think doc is, you could see his face when, when the foul happened and they were about to take the lead. You just see, he was disgusted. And it's it for me, Brian, it, you said it was funny for me. I was like, I felt kind of uncomfortable. I was like, <laughs> come on, these guys are professional basketball players and they can't beat a get the ball in bounds. Yeah. But I think doc is very, very fortunate. Cause that, that would have, he would have been answering a lot of questions for subsequent weeks. If they lost. Yeah. Them. Yeah. Um, I, I'm right there with both of you guys. Obviously it's, I'm, I'm, I guess I'm more with Brian and the fact that it's sort of comical at this point, how, poorly they handle themselves under pressure and it's really easy to make the the quote-unquote scapegoat and to circle everything back to him but like you said brian this is the best team joel's had around him on paper at least this they've theoretically plugged several important holes as far as roster construction melton's playing out of his mind in this game tyrese absent granted that's obviously a giant hole for this particular matchup but like they continue have the same problems with discipline and execution and effort. They play down to their opponents. Like you said, they're, they're really good at playing down or up to their opponent, whoever it may be. And that's like you said, not generally a sign of a great basketball team. So they're very good. I agree with them that they're in that next year behind Boston and Milwaukee. They are pretty firmly behind Boston and Milwaukee, which is not where they wanted to be coming into the season. This game, that stretch is just another example of it. You know, you go around other podcasts, people talk about how they were pretty much ready to zone out. Like, it seemed like Philly had things wrapped up. It should have been a very easy stroll to victory those last couple of minutes. They just find ways to, to, to muck it up 
And like credit to the Lakers for fighting as hard as they did. That's a pretty good defensive team when they're locked in and they, they have some obvious talent. Davis having a tremendous season. LeBron is LeBron. Like they deserve some credit. So that, that kind of segues into our next point here, but they're also now 10 and 15 on the season. So it's not a great team. Um, but talking about the Lakers, Brian, now that we've seen them up close against Philly, I'm, I'm sure we've all seen plenty of them. They're still a very big national TV team because of their market. What do you think of that Lakers team? Again, 10 and 15 on the season. What's your impression of them? Yeah, I mean, it's hard to see them competing for a championship this year, regardless of what they do. Like, I, you know, I know one of the big stories is, do they trade Russ and one of their picks? Do they trade Russ and both of their picks? Do they trade for Buddy Heald and Miles Turner? Do they trade to, you know, do the Utah trade? Do they trade for, like, uh, Vucevic and DeRozan in Chicago? Um you know, seeing Anthony Davis play the way that he is and playing this way at center makes me wonder, like, why are – did they really want Miles Turner? And do, we're going to push AD back to the four when he's so clearly more effective at the five? Like, I know he is reluctant to play this over the course of a full 82-game season, but at the same time, you know, this is not five or ten years ago where you have more – physically imposing back to the basket centers, even Joel, who is, you know, one of the last remaining guys who used to play like that. He's even said like, I'm not posting up anymore because teams just send doubles at me. I'm working at the the elbow. I'm facing up more. So I don't think the wear and tear is there for AD anymore. Uh, so like if I'm the Lakers, you know, it's tough because um, you don't want to waste this type of season from Anthony Davis, knowing he's turning 30 in, uh, early next year i don't remember exactly when uh you know lebron's about to turn 38 i believe and you know father time is undefeated it's gonna win eventually even if lebron seems like a robot so (laughs) you know at the same time like does a rust for healed and turner trade does that really put them on the level of boston milwaukee i don't think so so i can understand their temptation to say you know what let's just We'll give it a try this season. Maybe this this leads to the official passing of the torch from LeBron to AD, and this is the new era. And now, you know, we go into next summer. They could have upwards of like thirty million dollars in cap space, and the only other teams projected to have a lot of cap space are, you know, rebuilding or in some stages of a rebuild. So, you know, Kyrie I know is, has been linked with them. Uh, as a trade target, but also he'll be a free agent after this year. Does he take a slight discount? I, you know, I, I'm almost scared to say this on this podcast, but if things go south here, James Harden is a free agent. Does he look at LA? You know, like there, there could be uh, some marquee targets that they legitimately might be in play for. So, uh, you know, I think they'll be in the play in mix. They, they, you know, they, they dug out. Of, I think they were two and 10 to start the year. And then, you know, now they're they're back into that picture of, you know, well at least be not the absolute worst team in the league. Uh, but the West is really deep. Um, they're going to have to hope that a team like Utah, in particular, uh, decides. You know, where <laughs> they're happy with this early season stretch, but they're also realistic and like, no, they want their shot at Wemby. So maybe they start selling off some pieces at the deadline. Um, but I, you know, I struggle to see this Lakers team competing for a championship regardless of whether they make this big rust blockbuster trade or not. So I might have to take that clip and make it a short for our YouTube oh page. <laughs> trading, trading. Uh, was it, you want to bring Russ here for Harden? Is that what you No, 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 no. Harden, if he's a free agent this oh, summer. Okay. okay. Yeah. And, All right. You know, and he, it, you know, if for whatever reason the Sixers do not want to resign him, or okay. if he's just yeah, they they come in low on him, and you know the <laughs> Lakers are there offering him thirty five million dollars, you know it's a, it's a, in the back of my mind as like that is the one legitimate target. Other Houston has a ton of cap space too, so they could you know if he really wants to go back there, oh. uh, they could pry him away. But otherwise, uh, the Lakers I think are the real the real threat if you're looking ahead to James Harden free agency already. Before I mention anything about Lakers players or their organization, I just want to take a shot at the uh, Lakers fans who who are just (laughs) spotted throughout the Wells Fargo Center being annoying. The faker fans, not Laker fans, faker fans. Mm. They remind me of Dallas fans. Like wherever they just go, they pop up and they're visitors and they wear their jersey. And 
I will admit there were some really well-dressed fans uh, at this game for obvious reasons, nationally televised. Lakers are big-time showtime. But anyway, let's get to the players. I, I agree with everything you said. I had in my notes to mention uh, Miles Turner and Buddy Hield because I do think they would fit, uh, in my opinion, um, because what they have right now is not working. They can't rely on Austin Reeves and Lonnie Walker to to score the way they scored that night against the Sixers. But And Hield would give them that. As far as the, the structure and fit center power forward between Turner and AD, I, I don't know. I mean, I'll take your word for it, Brian, because you, you cover more of the NBA than I do. Um, but as far as like LeBron, he's a cyborg. He's a freak of nature. AD is looking like he wants an MVP spot at the table in terms of being a candidate. Um, but at the end of the day, they don't have the pieces to contend. And I'd be, I'd be surprised if they even made the play in. Yeah, I'm I'm right there with y'all. I, I I just don't think LA has has the pieces to contend this year, and it's again Anthony Davis is playing out of his mind. LeBron James is still a top ten player in the NBA, a very very good player. No one's wants to write off LeBron James, but it's the pieces around them, and a lot of it's just mismanagement from Rob Polinka and the guys in that front office. They just haven't put the pieces around them to be successful, and. You know, whether they make a rush trade or not, again, it's very hard to imagine them getting the quality of pieces necessary to really turn the tide in, in that significant a fashion. Like, like DeMar DeRozan is still very good, but are you maximizing his skill set next to LeBron and Anthony Davis? You're not. And Vucevic, and you really don't want to put Vuce and AD together. I don't, I agree. That probably just takes away from AD more than it really helps your team. So, those kinds of trades aren't just net positives all around. So I, I agree, Brian, maybe the best, the best move is to just write it out and focus on next season. But again, LeBron's 37 years old now, AD's getting older. Injuries have been a problem. I, I understand the, the other side of that coin is, can you really wait that long? So it, it's a tough situation to be in, but you're 10 and 15 and you're just clearly not a contender in the West. There's several much more well-rounded cohesive teams in, in, in the West right now. And it doesn't feel like the Lakers are going to be able to get on that level anytime soon. So I, I guess it's a very frustrating spot to be in as a franchise. And they've kind of dug themselves into that hole. It's, it's not really anything that has been out of their control. Um, the injuries over the past couple of years have been unfortunate, but like AD is playing like prime Anthony Davis right now. And they're still 10 and 15. So yeah, it's, it's just a tough spot to be in. I would argue, though, before we move on to the Charlotte game, I know the Miles Turner fit because he's he doesn't really shoot that much, at least at least more than uh, Vucevic. But with AD able to shoot the perimeter shot and Vucevic being able to stretch and go out, maybe that works. And then Vuce will get you 12 boards a game. So AD doesn't have to worry about banging down low. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that makes them better than having Russ, right? I think it's an improvement, oh, but yeah. I don't know if it's yeah. enough of an improvement to give up two first-round picks or okay. to really – like, that's the kind of thing you have to take into – you know, you have to consider the future as well. Um, yeah, and Vooch is a defensive liability, to put it lightly. So, you know, I think if you look ahead to the playoffs, there's a real chance that he wouldn't even be in their starting lineup, or at least, like, when you're closing late games down the stretch. All right, fair enough. All right, let's transition. So the Sixers played tonight. We're recording on Sunday night. They played the Charlotte Hornets. Last time they played the Hornets, I think it was Thanksgiving Eve, and that didn't turn out really well, even though the Sixers had some injuries. The Sixers handled business at home, 131 to 113. And a few team stats before you guys go into the specific player stats. If I'm looking at the shooting field goal percentage, the Sixers – really hit their shots. That was that was the distinction in the game. The Sixers made 55% of their shots, while Charlotte uh, Charlotte only made 40%. Three-point shots, they both made about the same number. The Sixers made 13 three-pointers. Charlotte made 11. Free throw line, there were a lot of fouls in this game. Uh, the refs did not swallow their whistle tonight. They just kept blowing the whistle. Rebounding, there was really no significant edge. Assists, the Sixers did have 10 more assists, 31 to 21. 
As far as points in the paint, the Sixers had a few more points in the paint, 56 to 50. The largest lead for the 76ers was 20. And Charlotte, the biggest lead they had in the first quarter was eight. So, Brian, let's let's start with the starters. Give us your your take on how the Sixers starters did tonight. Yeah, uh, as it turns out, Joel Embiid is really good at basketball. I know this is the the break, really deep analysis that you all come to this podcast for. Uh, I, but like, what can you even say? I mean, fifty three points, twelve rebounds, twenty of thirty two from the field. Like, you know, the the difference between this game and the previous game is that Joel just knew like they have no one who can stop me. And again, it, it goes back to what he said against the Lakers the other night. It's almost like he came out just to send the message, like I am just going to destroy these unless they figure out a way to stop me. I'm going to single-handedly destroy them. You guys just have to come along for the ride. I will drag you to the finish line in this game. Um, you know, Harden had 16 assists. I know he got sad at the end of the game because he finished one rebound shy of a triple-double, which was very funny. Uh, you know, like, really, the rest of the starters didn't have to do very much. It was just feed Joel and get out of the way. And, you know, it, it's good. It, it's obviously great that Joel is this dominant and, you know, can do this on a given night. I do worry sometimes that his individual greatness, uh, it, it's almost like a cheat code for the Sixers. And like, it's not necessarily going to work the same way in the playoffs that it does against a crappy Hornets team in the regular mm. season. So I, you know, if you're focusing on like building good habits for the playoffs, I don't know that this game was necessarily emblematic of that. With that said, they're just in a position right now where they need to stack wins to dig out of, the early season hole that you guys mentioned and, you know, with the injuries that they had, like, you know, when Tyrese Maxey comes back, then we could start building for the playoff. Right now is just survive in advance. So, you know, like we, I, I grew up watching Allen Iverson and I will defend Allen Iverson until my dying day. Joel Embiid's the single most dominant sixer I have ever seen in my life. Yeah, I, I mean, there's not much more to say about it. This is his second 50-point game of the year already. He, again, as I mentioned earlier, is playing better offensive basketball for the most part than he did last season, which was one of the best offensive seasons we've seen in NBA history. And we're not for like 10 other very viable MVP candidates playing out of their mind right now. We'd probably be talking about Joel in the MVP race again, and we might be getting to that point anyways because of how good he is. Um, yeah, like, like you said, Brian, um, as far as building good habits for the playoffs, you know, there, there's still some pretty valid concerns. I, I think James has been under a bit of a, a spotlight lately, especially because of that Lakers game and some some of his stuff late. Um still just a very good player, you know, 19 points, 16 assists. I'm I'm don't have a lot of complaints for him. He still clearly elevates this team in my mind of an inefficient game for Tobias. Melton had that nice run of threes in, in the second half. Like not a lot to complain about as far as the starting five goes. And, you know, Charlotte, if we're thinking about fun potential destinations for Wimbanyama, I'd like to see LaMelo and Wimby play together. That'd be a lot of fun. So I'm <laughs> glad they're, they're trending in that direction. Um, and yeah, a pretty convincing win for the most part for Philly. It wasn't, you know, as much of a blowout as you would have liked throughout the meat of the game. Like you said, Brian, they, they kind of pulled away late, but it was never really in doubt, mainly because of how great Joel was. And yeah, I mean, they need wins. So anyone's a good win in that sense. Yeah, Joel Embiid, uh, I, I, I'm going to pull a stat up. And I can't take credit for it because they flashed it on the screen during the game. So the fewest games played to reach 130.10 rebound games since 1981-82. Joel Embiid broke that record. Uh, Shaquille O'Neal had that for quite some time. It only took Shaq 349 games. Embiid only took 346. So that tells you the greatness of Joel Hans Embiid. And it's funny, Brian, you mentioned Allen Iverson. I grew up watching AI, too. And I was um, I was interviewed for KYW's Sports Fan of the Week for the Sixers. And Chris gave me a good quote. I appreciate that, Chris. But Dave Uram was interviewing me. And he's like, who's your favorite Sixer? And I'm like, oh, 
like yeah. <laughs> and then and then uh i just said look i'm leaning in b because we've never seen anything like him ever no one whether it's wilt or bill russell george mikan you go down any list of centers in the history of this game Embiid is the only player to do what he's doing and doing it at a high level and check this out he didn't start playing until he's 16 i'm sure you know that yeah so imagine if Embiid had started earlier so in basketball years Embiid's probably like 25 right now when he's really 28 going on 29. So, so the greatness of Embiid was all over the screen tonight, albeit against Charlotte. But I, I have to agree that the whole idea of like good habits going into the postseason, mm, not the best. Let, let's look at the, the, uh, the bench because the role players, they need love too, right, guys? So, Brian, yeah. give us your assessment of the role players. Yeah, I mean, Shake Milton, uh, I'm just happy to see him still getting consistent minutes, even though James Harden is back. Again, no Tyrese Maxey, so we'll see what happens when they're at full strength. But I would hope that Milton's play, while both Harden and Maxey were out, should cement him a role in the rotation. They need as many ball handlers as they can get, frankly. Um, and I think his play during that stretch was, you know, merits him getting a real look in the rotation because like I know it feels like three years ago but at the beginning of the season he was not in the rotation he barely played for the first I think he had four DNPs in the first five games uh, and played like six minutes uh, I think it was against Indiana so that's something I'm keeping an eye on um, you know the the ongoing Montrez Paul Reed battle swung back to Montrez tonight. He played 13 minutes. Paul Reed only played two. You're triggering so, Chris right now. Just wording you. Yeah, <laughs> man. I mean, I, I I I kid you not. I like half wrote a piece going going into the season. Uh, I was like, Sixers have never had a better like backup option than they have this season because they have just the versatility of Paul Reed some nights, Montrez some nights, PJ some nights. And now I'm going to, I didn't finish the piece. Like the season crept up on me and now I'm like reworking it to like, hmm, they actually still have some unanswered questions at backup center for the 18th straight year. It's just, it is unreal how, you know, in theory, they do have a, a lot of different options and we really haven't seen the PJ at the five lineups all that much. They might be trying to save that for later in the season or even just like screw it. We'll practice it and then we'll try it out in the playoffs because we really don't want to you know, put those miles on our 37 year old body. Um, but yeah, I'm, that's something I'm keeping an eye on. Like does one of those guys really cement the, you know, first crack at the backup job uh, every night, or is it just like a matchup thing? And, you know, I know last year uh, <laughs> when, when DeAndre was still on the team, you know, Doc was like, I like, Paul against smaller bigs and DeAndre against bigger guys. So I, I wonder what the uh, how what goes into his decision making when he is choosing between Paul Reed and Montrez on a given night. I'm just said, glad I'm just glad you didn't mention Paul Millsap because yeah, so I thought he was worse than than um, DeAndre. But anyway, yeah, yeah. I mean, I know Doc has said he likes the offensive fit of Harrell and James Harden. So maybe that now that Harden is back, maybe that's why Harrell is getting uh, more minutes over Reed. But, yeah, you know, I think if you're looking ahead of the playoffs, we know how the story ends with Montrez Harrell. I really think they need to just get Paul Reed yep. up to speed as much as they possibly can. Uh, he has so much more defensive versatility. And, yeah, he's going to make more mistakes. He's young. He's mistake-prone. He is not as experienced as Montrez Harrell. But, like, that is what the regular season is for. So maybe – you know, they're going to like work their way up to be solidly top six. And then the final third of the season, once that is not in jeopardy, that's when we really start to give Paul a longer leash. But I do hope we get to see more of him as the season goes on. Yeah. I, I mean, that's the thing, right? Like it seemed these past couple of weeks with Joel out that it, Paul was kind of starting to figure things out offensively. He was in the right place more often. He was figuring out his role as, as a guy who, Sets good screens, rolls to the rim, easy finishes. Like you said, like like by the time the playoffs roll around, there's just going to be no reason to play Montrez. Like like I think the biggest unanswered question at center is just why is Doc continuing to not play Paul Reed? I, I mean, I Reed's a very talented player. I have a lot of confidence in him personally as the guy who can be a full time backup behind Joel. 
I, I, Montrez played well tonight. Like this was a pretty, pretty rock solid Montrez Harrell game. It's not anything he did wrong in particular. You know, he's played Charlotte quite well this season in their two matchups, but it's Charlotte. And for the most part, Reed is just straight about played Montrez at every turn. And I, I don't fully understand why we keep going back to him. Um, yeah, like, like I, I think Paul Reed should be playing. I, I think it's that simple. In, in my book, like you said, defensively, he's just such a really, really a very impressive playmaker on that side of the ball. He creates a lot of turnovers. And the way to get him to cut down on mistakes, the way to get him more comfortable in the offense is to give him more reps with James and to give him more reps defensively. And I don't know, you're not really helping that by playing Montrez. So, yeah, I, I'm on team Paul Reed here. Yeah, I can't add anything else to the Paul Reed situation because you guys covered it all. I do want to say that George Niang tonight, it looked like he was coming off of an injury. He didn't have his best game. Um, but before that, he was just hot. I mean, he's probably one of the most consistent bench players we've had. Shake Milton, I've been singing his praises, Brian, since I think his first season. I saw something in him his first season, and I, I the way he played, Brian, I was like, this kid belongs in this league and he's, he's gone through a lot. He paid his dues with bottle pennies G league and waiting his turn. And once he got that, he capitalized on it. And I, you, I don't know if you see it, but now when he gets that ball, it's like his teammates recognize, okay, we're good with shape. He can, he can make some good moves mid range driving to the lane. There was one game, not the Lakers game, the one before that where, uh, top of the key, I think it was the Houston game, where top of the key, uh, Harden passes the ball to Shake. Uh, oh, no, no, Shake had the ball, passed it to Harden. Harden just gave right back to him. In other words, do something with it. And he did something, he scored. So <laughs> I'm, I'm happy to see Shake blossom. I'm happy to see him develop. Uh, but as far as the Paul Reed thing, I will say this. You know, maybe we should write a letter to Doc. Say, dear Doc, remember when you had no choice but to play Tyrese Maxey and see how he developed and took a nice leap? Maybe you should do that with Paul Reed because he's just waiting. You know what you're getting with with Montrez Harrell, you know, like a small center who can't play defense. At least Reed, who Chris, I think you you um, you told me this. He's in the top three of steals per 36 or something. Some ridiculous number that Reed is on defense, but but I agree. I'm I'm on team team D ball Paul. And with that being said, let's go ahead and go into the next topic. All right, let's talk let's talk some more about James Harden now. Um, this is just from ESPN, their stats page. Harden is now the fourth player in NBA history with twenty three thousand career points and sixty five hundred career assists. He joins Oscar Robinson. Uh, LeBron James and Russell Westbrook. Pretty impressive company overall. Uh, Brian, where do you think Harden ranks all time on the list of point guards? Do we think he's in that top 10 range with guys like Magic and Nash, Stockton, again, Robertson, CP, Isaiah, Steph? Like, like where do we think, what, what tier, what range is James in all time, do you think, at the point guard spot? Yeah, I'm I'm of the the JJ Redick school of it's really hard to compare guys between generations, and I'm not gonna sit here and pretend like I've watched every Bob Cousy game or Walt Frazier game. You know, like I <laughs> I'm a little younger than that. Uh, so it, for me, it's more just thinking about where he ranks in this generation, or like you know, you can throw Darren Williams and Jay Kidd and Steve Nash if you want, like last twenty years. I think he absolutely belongs in that conversation. I think the way that he has changed his game over the years to, you know, lean more into the playmaking. And, you know, I mean, like when he came to the league, he was more of a scorer. Like, you know, it was really the, the Houston uh, late career Houston when he really, really picked it up as a playmaker. And then, you know, the Brooklyn, <laughs> the, the short tenure in Brooklyn and now in Philly, uh, that's more of his calling card, which is just wild to say for a guy who led the league in scoring for three straight years. So uh, despite some of my frustrations with James and him not necessarily changing, uh, 
in the ways that I think will prolong his career even more. I think that that shift has been positive from, you know, primary score, number one focal option to, all right, this is the guy who's just going to set the offense up and generate easy baskets for his teammates. Well, I am going to take that route of comparing uh, errors. I don't mind being the bad guy here. <laughs> and I, and I'm, I guess I'm a little older than you. I'm, I'm, four, how old am I? I'm 46. So I, I did grow up watching AI, but also saw Barkley in person. I saw Mo Cheeks. Isaiah Thomas is the reason why I became an NBA fan, even before Barkley. So if, if I look at that list that Chris read down, uh, I didn't see Bob Cousy play. I mean, that guy, <laughs> I think he's still alive, to be honest with you. I saw Stockton play amazing, amazing point guard. I mean, broke the record. No one has more assists in this league than him. But he did have Carl Malone on his team for two decades, right? So, uh, and the one thing I would distinguish Harden and Stockton, obviously Harden's taller, a little bit more athletic. um, But anything that Stockton could do, Harden can do. But not everything that Harden does, Stockton could do. So Mm -hmm. I would rank him higher and I know it's blasphemous for some NBA old heads. I would, if I had a choice, I would rather have Harden than John Stockton. And I respect the heck out of John Stockton, not taking anything away. But if we're being fair and comparative based upon skill set and capacity, look, Stockton could not lead the league in, in scoring and assists, which Harden did. And Harden had nobody on his team, right? Mm-hmm. So I, w- I would fit him on this top 10 list. Uh, some of the other players that were mentioned, Oscar Robertson. I didn't see him play, but, I mean, he's a beast. I mean, how many triple-doubles did he have? Like, I can't even name it. I think Jason Kidd gets overlooked, guys, a lot because of, I guess, recency. Like, Steve Nash, I think, is a top-10 point guard. But you can't forget about uh, Jason Kidd. And the other player, Steph Curry. I-, I had an argument with someone about, is Steph Curry a real point guard? Is he a scoring guard? I guess I'm finally just – going with it like Steph is a point guard he's a great passer he has great handles and even though it's not his primary purpose to distribute the basketball he can so I I would say Harden is in the top 10 what do you think Chris yeah I I mean I'm kind of in the same boat as Brian as being a relatively younger person who hasn't watched many Bob Cousy games but I mean even if we are just isolating it to this era like Steph is the obvious number one guy. Point guard. It, it's Steph Curry and then everyone else. But once you get past Steph, I mean, a lot has been said the past couple of years about Harden ball and whether or not it's effective. And they always bow out in the playoffs. Like had, had Golden State not reached their peak with Kevin Durant when they did, Houston would have won a championship or two. So I always kind of bump back against that mm-hmm. particular line of criticism because statistically speaking, Houston was one of the best offensive teams, if not the best offensive team we've ever seen for a few years there. Hardenball worked, and Chris Paul was part of that, and Clint Capella and all the other guys, like, they built a successful ecosystem around James. But James was at the center, and he was extremely productive, as you said, Brian. We have really never seen anyone put up those numbers in the way that James did with his kind of shot distribution and efficiency. And... Yeah, so, like, once I get past Steph, even if we're moving it to the past 20 years, like, Steve Nash, Jason Kidd, those guys, I, I think James has a pretty strong case to, to be on that level in, like, just offensive players from this generation. Steph, LeBron, KD, I, I think James is, like, right up there with him, like, like in that tier of offensive talent. And maybe not so much defensively. That's maybe where he lags behind in the all-time, you know, debate. But I, I do think the case for James top 10 or whatever at his position all time would be pretty strong. And especially recent, like past 20 years, pretty easily a top five point guard, in my opinion, maybe top two or three. Like, I, I think that's the kind of talent we're talking about. And he's, you know, he's transitioning into the next phase of his career. That's not the player that's playing for Philly right now. Like Pete James Harden is not, not around. He's changing, as you said, Brian. But as far as career achievements, I, I – be pretty hard pressed to keep Harden out of my top 10 or whatever. I'm sure if I went through things just because the numbers are insane in Houston, despite not winning a championship was 
one of the best offenses we've ever seen, mostly because of James Harden. So I, I think he deserves a ton of credit. So this part of the conversation just put a smile on my face because it just <laughs> dawned on me, like, we got James Harden for Ben Simmons. That just puts <laughs> a smile on my face. I know this topic is going to put a smile on Chris's face. Go ahead. Take it away, man. <laughs> All you. This is you. Oh, this is me? Right. Oh, my God. Yeah. Twice, twice I've dropped the ball tonight. My bad. Actually, you know what? I I put this as the introduction for me to introduce this one because Chris is he knows everything about all international players. Like he is the expert on it. I am not. But the next topic uh, is we're going to talk about a surge in the NBA of elite international players. I'm looking at a photograph right now. Crop together, we have Jokic, we have Embiid, we have. Giannis, and then we have Luka Doncic. I mean, what a what a quartet of amazing players right now. So my question to you guys, and obviously Brian will go to you first, are the best players in the world, not just NBA, but are the best players in the world right now, are they all from the outside the United States? And if you believe so, what do you think has caused this surge of elite play from international guys? Yeah, I mean, it's uh, – I'd put Kevin Durant in that mix. I'd put, you know, LeBron probably a little bit below now, which is just weird to say that he's outside of the top five. I'd put Steph in that mix. So, you know, whether you have either of those guys over any of Luka, Embiid, Jokic, that's whatever. Like, they're all top five-ish, top six players. But, uh, I mean, I think it's a couple things. One, I think scouting is just a lot better than it was 20 or 30 years ago. You know, like when you just mentioned, Joel Embiid didn't pick up a basketball until he was 16 years old. Who's to say in 1990 that a scout would have been in Cameroon to see this guy pick up a basketball and be like, wow, this seven-footer, you know, he's got the skills of a soccer star and like maybe he could translate to a basketball court. Let's develop him. Let's work him through the system. You know, I just don't think that uh, framework was there 20 or 30 years ago. Um my podcast co-host is actually from Denmark, so he oh, would wow. be the first to to go on this topic for as long as you guys wanted. But <laughs> I think you'd also point to the differences in AAU play versus international play, where you know I think AAU play tends to favor some of the like flashy individual isolation play. Whereas, you know, international, they're more team oriented. They're working on passing more. They're working on the dribbling more. Um, they're becoming more well-rounded basketball players rather than just like isolation and one guys. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, also this is like very nerdy, but uh, I used to write about high school sports way back when I know like single sport specialization is a topic in that sphere where you know if guys are just playing year round it actually doesn't help them like it, it's better athletically for you to dabble in a bunch of different sports when you're young before you start to really focus on one so you know i think that's when you look at Embiid in in particular like his footwork is just so unique for a seven footer and it's because he played soccer for as long as he did i think his dad is a volleyball star if i remember correctly so like he's been exposed to a bunch of different sports and imagine a probably similar story for a lot of these international guys whereas you know in the in the, the united states it's like once you start to show any semblance of talent you just get funneled into the system where it's like all right we're gonna play basketball 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 year round we're gonna you know like i know lebron uh has expressed some concern about it i think mark stein uh, had a Substack post about this recently where he's like these kids are just playing too damn much. Like we need to we need to tamp this back a bit. They're, they're not going to have any tread left on their tires when they even get to the NBA. So I'm guessing it's a combination of all those factors, but I think the scouting is probably the, the big one. Yeah. I, I don't have a ton to add. I, I think you hit a lot of the, the points that I would have hit and probably more eloquently, Brian. Um, yeah. I mean, if we look at the four players you mentioned, Uriah, Jokic and Bede, Luka Giannis, there's a pretty credible argument that those are the four best players in the NBA. Just like pretty much a fact at this point. I think Steph and Katie are in the mix too, like you said, Brian. But I, I mean, 
not to commit blasphemy on the pod, but I'd at least be pretty comfortable saying like Giannis is number one straight yeah. up, and yeah. Jokic is probably pretty concrete number two right now. Luca's kind of like on a straight line up though. Joel's obviously very good as well. Like those are four amazing players. Joel's the only one who even like played college ball in the U.S. The other three were scouted and developed entirely overseas and like you said it's it's infrastructure credit to the nba and nba teams for recognizing this trend and the talent pool that's out there and making the moves necessary to go out and see these players some of it you can probably chalk up to like modern technology because in 1980 we just wouldn't have had easily accessible video cameras in Giannis's high school gym in greece or whatever like some of that's part of it too it's just it's easier to pass this stuff around to see guys play live, even if you're not there. So there, there are a lot of factors at play, but th- this trend is going to continue. When Banyama is about to be the number one pick, Luca should have been the number one pick. Like we're seeing more and more of these elite level prospects coming from overseas. And that, that's just not going to stop because as big as America is, it's a very small fraction of the world's population. So there are, there are a lot of really talented athletes not from this country. And we're, we're just going to find more and more of them as this infrastructure continues to grow. So, yeah. So I read a book. <clears throat> I read a book this summer. I was, I was tutoring a young man uh, in high school, and we were reading a book together. And because sports are his thing and, you know, a lot of – Guys growing up, high school boys, they're not really into reading. They're into sports and video games and stuff. So it's like I was paid to read the book with him and, and give him <laughs> questions related to the plot. And I'm, I'm so glad I read it. Here's why. I wish I could remember the name of it. <laughs> but, but it was about uh, a Michigan State team playing in the championship. And the, and the book took place in like the fourth quarter throughout the whole book. And what they did was they would go back in time to get to know these the two protagonists. One was from Croatia, this European player who was playing on Michigan State. And then, um, oh no, he's playing for a team called Troy. My, my bad. Michigan State had a, a kid from Michigan, grew up in, in a really rough area, rough neighborhood. But the author, he did this on purpose. He made the international player uh, flesh out his life story uh, as like writing journals. So you're reading this journal first person and he came from a war torn country. And I think that's so indicative of, I guess the landscape of the playing field of young players coming into the NBA today is because it's international. Uh, you don't just have kids from, from like North Philly or, or, or Compton or, you know, a rough neighborhood in the Bronx making it to the NBA. Now you have guys from overseas who also grow up in poverty uh, war-torn situations, and they too have something to prove, which to everything you guys added, I think you're seeing that now more from, I guess, a social aspect. And, you know, it, it just shows you that no matter where you're from, you can make it if you work hard and you, and you play the game the right way. So I, I thought I would add that. And the one other thing I'll, I'll say is, you know, I'll take you guys back to the 90s. There was a player called Drazen Petrovic. I'm sure you guys have heard of him assassin crazy skill amazing shooter got rest in the soul died in a car accident um sarunas marshalonis played for golden state wasn't just a role player he played with golden state tim hardaway chris mullen he was averaging like 18 points a game and then the last one chris will like this uh, arvita sabonis the mm-hmm. father of demontis sabonis so these international players every decade like, you know, their fathers are having kids and they're just following their footsteps. So you guys mentioned women. Yeah, this is the last topic of the night. This is a great conversation. Um, but Rudy Gobert always likes to draw a little controversy <laughs> towards him. <laughs> Rudy Gobert said, and this is from the athletics, Joe Varden, uh, got this quote from him. They were talking about uh, the possibility of Joel Embiid playing for Team France in the future along with Gobert and obviously uh, Victor Wambanyama, basically saying that, uh, Gobert saying that they'd be unstoppable. Guys, what, what do we think about this? Is this Gobert <laughs> just go, jumping off at the mouth? Or, I mean, what do you guys think? 
I mean, have we not seen how the double big lineup has worked with Gobert in Minnesota this year? Are we is is Gobert coming off the bench in this scenario? Because uh, that then I might be willing to entertain a dominant friends team. But no, I mean like Wemby is incredible. Um, I, you know he's going to be the number one pick for very good reason. Pair him with Embiid. I mean that's just so much length. You're going to have to just you're not getting in the paint against those guys. You're just going to have to outshoot them from three. And, you know, the American bigs, it's pretty bleak. It's like Bam and Jarrett Allen and uh, probably the, the two best bets for who would be sending to go against them. So, you know, Embiid in particular would definitely try to assert himself on the other end as well. Um, but yeah, I, I the, the Gobert fit is not necessarily as seamless. I think, uh, the Gobert might be, he might have to be careful for what he wishes for if he wants to keep that starting lineup spot. Yeah, I, I think that's a fair point. I, I will say, like, with international basketball, those, like, bigger, slower lineups tend to be more successful. It is a different kind of game over there. But, I mean, you're right. If Joel, if Joel decides to play for France, specifically, he would kind of be spurning Team USA because he could turn around and choose to play for Team USA as well, right? So, like you said, USA doesn't have a ton of other great options of that caliber at, at the center position, and Gobert and Wimby are very talented players. Like, that would definitely elevate France to another level in, in those conversations. Um, are they going to beat Team USA at the Olympics? Maybe not, but as far as, you know, every other team, they'd be in the mix. And Team USA, as we know, is not not unbeatable by any stretch. So they, they'd certainly be in the conversation. I'm probably higher on Gobert than Uriah and other members of this podcast. But <laughs> you're yeah, right. Yeah. You know, Gobert, Wimbenyama, and Embiid in the same lineup, you're kind of pushing it a bit as far as perimeter defense goes. But no matter how you stagger it, they're, they're going to have a pretty dominant interior defense and a pretty strong foundation offensively to build on. So be a very compelling group if nothing else it would be tough for for any team to get a shot off when you have a 7-2 a 7-6 and an Embiid but the star of that team would be Timothy Lee how do you say that Timothy Luwalu Cabarro he would be the star of that team <laughs> TLC he'd step up he'd have his, <laughs> I don't know like 30 a game I don't know but I'm, I'm not going to add anything to that uh, I was getting a little late and uh, what I wanted to say in the beginning but the music kind of threw me off, Brian, with my intro was um, applauding your your research. Uh, I know it's not the most fun thing to do, but the way, <laughs> the way I see Brian when I, re- when I first read his stuff is like the way you break down stats. It's like the average NBA fan when they're trying to figure out stats, they're like looking at it like algebra in middle school. And <laughs> you're out there like putting it in, like looking at it like calculus, but you serve it back to us in a way that's easily understood. So just want to send some appreciation your way for that. And for, um, I, I follow you on Twitter. You, you posted or retweeted something from Howard Beck, who I've read yes. before, but I just never followed him. But he wrote a really good article in the parody of the NBA. So thank you for that for that article. Yeah, yeah. Beck uh, used to be with us at BR for a number of years. So I had the pleasure of editing him for a while. Uh, he's now at Sports Illustrated. One of the best NBA writers out there. So if if any of you are not following Howard Beck, please do so. Uh, you can finally understand the what up Beck's on the the low post podcast, if nothing else. Um, but yeah, thank you, thank you guys for having me. Um, if you are you want to distract yourself from the Sixers' somewhat depressing short term future, I have some stuff going up on Liberty Ballers this week about their long term cap outlook and you know looking way far ahead. The new CBA is coming down soon uh they just announced that there's going to be a a delay in the opt-out deadline which is supposed to be on december 15th so i'm going to break down uh why sixers fans should want a new cba after this year and then also the nba is proposing this quote-unquote upper spending limit also known as a hard cap Uh, so i'm going to write a very very hypothetical piece about how that might affect the sixers as well Cool. I think awesome. we'll use that clip for for our short. We'll use that one and not, nice. not bring not get rid of Harden for yeah. Good. Please, <laughs> for <Russ>. please. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, well, I, I guess we're at the, the end of the road, gentlemen. Brian, thanks for coming on, man. We, we really appreciate it. It's great. We'd love to have you on again in the future. Of course, yeah. Anytime, guys. Happy to, happy to come, and thanks again. Yeah, absolutely. And, and to all our listeners, as always, thank you for tuning into the Sixer Sense podcast. We are on YouTube now, for those who don't know. So like, subscribe, follow along there. We're also on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. And you can read us on the internet, listen to us on the internet at thesixersense.com. You can follow us on Twitter and Facebook at Sixersense. So until later this week, everyone, peace out and go Sixers. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.